Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Curtis Wister, the Portland Sea Dog to my main Red Claw. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm well, Ben. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, we, uh, of course, we always have Abby Duty on with us, too. I'll do the she is on assignment uh, today, <laughs> missing the missing the conversation. Uh, she actually has uh, several client meetings up in, up in Rooster County. Yep. So she's doing Zoom virtual meetings with those clients today. So she's missing this conversation. But one of the things we want to talk about was, again, from a lot of the show so far, you know, I think we're in our 20s at this point. We recorded <laughs> a bunch of episodes. Yeah. And one thing we, we kind of have been hearing from feedback from not only from our clients, but also from our listeners is, you know, we really haven't tackled this idea of senior living, right? Yeah. Is at some point, you know, we, and we hear this goal from a lot of our clients. I want to stay in my house as long as possible. Yeah. But maybe that goal is staying as long as possible. Maybe there's a, a point where it's too long, right? Sure. Maybe, maybe there's a point that it isn't right for me. But I've never gotten to that point in my life before, and I don't know when it when is appropriate time, right? right? And a lot of us, I think, have this idea of that senior living might be just end of life care, and mm-hmm. if I go to that place, then does that mean I'm now truly at the end of my life, right? That so we want to kind of debunk some of these of of thinking about, hey, I can be living maybe not my home, but maybe I could be living a better life. Maybe I could be doing things that I I didn't think uh, was possible. Maybe there's systems and structures in there to keep me safe, but also to allow me to live a better, happier, more fulfilled life that also allows my kids that are worried about me, it allows them to have some peace of mind in terms of checking in on me. Or and we had a conversation with Dr. Sarah Geber about the idea of solo aging, right? About sure. people that don't have kids and, and that, that structure is not in place to check in on us. Yeah. Well, you know, having this as an idea of who's going to take care of me right. as I'm aging and as I have more needs, whether it be medical yeah. or attention or yeah. social or, or gonna, just yeah. kind of spiritual, whatever. Right. So I think those are the things we wanted to talk about so we we've actually been reaching out to um a person that i we we just hold in a lot of high regard and her role is a director of community outreach for Diego pines so as a lot of people know curtis you and i are sitting in bangor in the bangor area and Diego pines is is up the road to us in orono but they have such a great reputation in in our community here for for the whole spectrum of senior living And it's not just kind of that end of life idea that people kind of have in their minds. So we wanted to reach out to, to Susan and we were going to actually have this show probably several months ago. Yeah. And, (laughs) and then then COVID, right? (laughs) Talk about, talk about ground zero in terms of COVID and the concerns is, is the, is the population in senior living is, is so, so susceptible and, and so vulnerable. So Susan's world just got turned upside down. <laughs> so we had to uh, we had to postpone. But I want to welcome her on because she's been very patient and gracious to kind of come into our show here. So Susan, thanks for coming on to the Retirement Success in Maine. We're we're so happy to have you. You're so welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. 
And Susan, I want to just give you a little bit of an intro here too, because, you know, you have what we really were gravitated towards you is, you know, you have a uh, experience in terms of uh, nursing as well, that you have your RN, your RN is in addition to your role with Diego Pines and Senior Living. So you kind of have the the kind of the health side of it and the nursing side in addition to just kind of the structural end that you see in terms of senior living. So we are really excited from that combo because mm-hmm. I think in the state of Maine, that's a very unique perspective and we're excited for that to, to be shown through today. Great. In fact, it is unique because in my parent company, which is across the country, there are 64 communities, I believe. I'm the only registered nurse in this type of sales position. All the other people are not nurses. So this is completely unique to us here at Derrigal Pines. I was originally brought on as the director of uh, transitional care and with a purpose that it be a registered nurse to assist people in their transitions along that continuum. Mm-hmm. So it kind of morphed into a new title, but that was the original intent to have a clinician who could guide people toward the levels of service they needed. That's really, and I know we're going to cover that a, a lot in depth here, mm-hmm. Susan, today, because I think that's the big point is what levels, what service levels are there, right? In terms of, because again, I, I think people only think maybe, or I don't want to just broadly say that, but I, I think there's awareness of it or there's, there's things of like, I can't afford it. So I just dismiss mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what I, I think will be a really great point of conversation. But with every one of our guests, we always like to start with just you, right? In terms of your background, your kind of uh, biography. So I'd love to always ask the question to start off the thing, Susan, here is where did you grow up? Where was that for you kind of in your formative years? I grew up in a small mill town, East Millinocket, Maine. So it's about 45 miles north of here. And it was a beautiful upbringing. Uh, the mill was thriving. It was, it was during their, their heyday. Uh, paper making. They were the paper makers for the world. Great mm-hmm. Northern Paper Company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I grew up with five siblings, three girls, three boys, the true Brady bunch. I, I'm Jan. <laughs> I'm the middle, I'm the middle daughter. And, uh, we just had a regular middle class upbringing. My dad was a hard worker. He instilled a strong work ethic in me. He never owned a credit card. So everything he purchased was with cash. He built his own home. He built our camp on the lake at a local lake up near Baxter Park. So uh, just a hard worker. And it was a wonderful upbringing. I had lots of friends there. And I'm still close enough to be able to go back and visit. My parents are gone now, but my I have four siblings who live there with their families, and um, my other sister and I are the ones who left that area. Which, as you said, it's like you know, leaving the areas is kind of one thing, but again, you you you're 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 not like you can throw a stone to it, but you can right. certainly it's a short little drive to always go back. Right. So that's really nice. Right. Love to hear a little bit about your path towards healthcare. And then in terms of nursing, right, is, is mm-hmm. kind of where did you discover that passion, especially with, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, again, five siblings, you're in a mill town, right? And, and sometimes we all get caught in patterns, like generational mm-hmm. patterns within a certain vicinity and mm-hmm. area. And that it's, sometimes there's expectation of, well, Susan, uh, you know, your mom did this or grandmother did that. And isn't that a, isn't that a good thing? Can you talk about, well, how did you kind of get into healthcare and then the nursing side? Sure. 
in high school, I took the college course career track. But by the time we became juniors, we were asked to think about what do you want to do when you graduate? I didn't know what I wanted to do. I loved everything, but I couldn't be everything. And my mother never went to college. And when she spoke with me about my aspirations, she said, you know, Susan, I always wanted to be a nurse. What, what do you think about that? Well, I never considered nursing, but I know that I, I really like meeting new people. I think just basically I'm a caregiver anyway. So I thought, well, that's a pretty good fit. I'll give it a try. Mm -hmm. So I did take all of my, uh, we, when we did our college extent, uh, the college entrance exams, uh, back then, if you were going to go the nursing career track, you did what they call the NLNs rather than the SATs. And all that stood for National League for Nursing. So I came to Bangor and took all my entrance exams. And then I applied to a number of different schools, and I was accepted at the Eastern Maine Medical Center School of Nursing. Because of its close proximity to my hometown, I thought that would probably work best for me. Sure. So that I'd still be far enough away but have access to my family. At the time, that was a diploma program. It was later taken over by Hudson College, is what it was called then which now is called Hudson University. So I did go back to school to complete my bachelor's degree at Hudson College when it was still Hudson College. <laughs> okay. And then because I trained at the Eastern Maine Medical Center, which is now Northern Light Eastern Maine Medical Center, I chose to work there after. And I entered into the oncology program there. So for 30 years, I remained there as a cancer research nurse. And that was my love. I truly loved mm. working with people who had cancer and helping them along their journey. So that's kind of how I started with my my nursing career. I love that. And we always like to ask the extension there because I know you, you gave a nice little thorough thread of, you know, it's very linear and, you know, it kind of works really well. But I think with I think with a lot of generations, there's a push to get out of Maine. Right. There's mm-hmm. this, you know, let's go. The the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And, mm-hmm. you know, let's go to the bigger cities and, you know, you can make more money, more job opportunities, all that. And I know you kind of described, again, your your parents and your siblings there. But why did you stay in Maine? Well, because I trained at the Eastern Maine Medical Center. And at the time, it was up and coming. They were adding um, a lot of towers there. It was growing. And I fell in love with cancer nursing. I just couldn't imagine leaving. And then again, I had the benefit of being close to my friends who typically were at the University of Maine or at Hudson. Mm-hmm. So my my circle of friends was right here in the greater Bangor area. My family was in the East Millinocket area. So it was the best of both worlds. I had no reason to leave. And I love Maine. I absolutely love the state of Maine. It's beautiful. Okay. I love that too. Of course, of course, we're doing the, the show, uh, Retirement Success in Maine. So right. we mm-hmm. certainly have an affinity towards it too. Uh, but I, I would like to say, ask you too, Susan. So you kind of talked about, Hey, you really just developed this love for oncology nursing, right? And yeah. you did it for 30 years. Well, can you talk about how you fell in love also to senior living, right? Is, you know, going from kind of this area here and going, you know what, mate, you know, there's a pivot point at some point in your life where you said, you know, I need to make a change in my career. And you obviously in your role at Deer Go Pines there as director of uh, community outreach, can you talk about that movement? And then how did you fall in love with this kind of new, new position and career path? Sure. It was interesting career path because when I left the medical center, I started a job with a local home health and hospice program. 
And a lot of our, we call them clients, which I just had a hard time getting used to calling a patient a client, but we had a lot of clients that were seniors. So many of my patients that I cared for in their homes were older folks. And then the reason that I eventually came to Deerago Pines is that I got a referral for a person who lived here in one of the private cottages, but not have, I, I had never been on the campus. So I, I mistakenly went to Deerago Pines Inn to the reception desk looking hmm. for my client. And they said, oh, no, he lives in one of the private cottages out back. But I was in the inn. And when you're in the lobby of that inn, it is absolutely gorgeous. And I thought, wow, what do they do here? (laughs) And then I went down to one of those lovely private cottages. It was the middle of winter. They have uh, they have natural gas and um, the natural gas heated floors, the radiant heat in the floor. Mm. So I took my boots off to go see this gentleman. And I thought, oh, this is nice. Nice, cozy floors, all heated. But um, I just thought the whole campus was beautiful. As I drove around, they have two ponds here, and all of the housing, the cottages are gorgeous. But, no, I was interested in the inn. So I later um, called the person who was the then executive director to find out if there were any career opportunities here because I did find out that they had three levels of assisted living. Mm-hmm. And that was what kind of led to my transition from home health and hospice to here. Mm-hmm. And again, it was because a lot of my clients were seniors already. Mm-hmm. So kind of a natural transition. Yeah. And I'll keep going with the natural transition here. Um, so you just, we've touched on you're now working or wanting to seek opportunity at Deerago Pines. Um, for those who may be listening that maybe aren't as familiar as Ben and I are with Dirigo Pines. Can you just take a minute and talk about, you know, what is Dirigo Pines, the services that you all offer, and just kind of dive into that a little bit for us? Sure. So Dirigo Pines is a private pay retirement community. So there is a minimum age requirement of 55 or over. And we provide the whole continuum of care, which is what is so unique about our community. We are the only community in the greater Bangor area that does have the whole continuum. Hmm. So we provide the independent cottages for folks who still want to live in an independent home. Mm -hmm. And then once you come to Deerago Pines Inn, we have 56 independent apartments. We have 17 assisted living apartments. We have 22 secure memory care apartments and 19 specialized care apartments. So a lot of options for folks who need any level of assisted living. Hmm. Can you you expand on what specialized care is? Like, so when you say 22 specialized care apartments, so Mm -hmm. what, what is specialized there? Specialized care is a term that we use for folks who need maximum assistance with their activities of daily living, such as mobilizing, bathing, dressing, eating. And typically the only option they would have as an alternative would be a nursing home if we didn't provide that here. They would end up in a semi-private bed in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for me to distinguish that we are not a nursing home. We are licensed very differently. We provide residential care. So we have a level two and a level four residential license. What that limits us to is simply hands-on care for people who need that kind of help with bathing and dressing, transfers, mobilizing. We are not a skilled community. We don't have a license where we're able to do IV therapy for people who need antibiotics. We can't do tube feedings here. Uh, we can't do pressure ulcer care here. 
So those are those kinds of services are going to be provided in on a rehab wing of a nursing home. Gotcha. So we're we're very different though than a nursing home in that all of our apartments are private. So the mm. residents who come here will never have to worry about getting a roommate. And as you know, at a nursing home, especially on a rehab wing, uh, yeah. that's like a, a you know kind of rotating through. People get better, they get discharged. Your new roommate comes. Mm-hmm. And you really have no control over who that person is going to be. Are they going to be compatible with you? Are they hard of hearing and they're blasting the TV all night? Do they talk a lot? Do they have a lot of visitors? So there's not a lot of privacy when you're in a semi-private room of, of a nursing home, whereas here it is their home. So on our specialized care, and we call them neighborhoods. So you're going to hear me call them neighborhood <laughs> instead of unit. This is their home. So we have tried to eliminate all language that sounds more medical. So we don't have units. We have neighborhoods. I like that. And uh, we don't do admissions here. We do move-ins because this mm. is their home. So we do have nurses here, though, because we are regulated by the state of Maine. And the wellness director has to develop a plan of care so that the people who work in the wellness department will know what care to provide for our residents. So on specialized care, those folks typically are physically debilitated to the degree that they're not uh, independently mobile. Some of them may have been uh, post-stroke, or they may have a cognitive decline where they have no longer been able to bathe or dress themselves because they wouldn't know how to do that independently. So the people living there do need very maximum assistance for their care. Mm. Excellent. I think that's a really good summary because, again, I, uh, we're going to cover in a second kind of where where everything fits within the spectrum of senior living there. But I, I think that's really great to hear. Well, here's where Darago Pines fits in within the community and, again, right. where the need is, what people are looking for. So, again, I we'll, we'll continue to kind of visit that into kind of the range of it. But I, I think this is probably a good time to to kind of move into this whole idea of of the spectrum of senior living. And I, that, that's really the sure. idea, what we want to be continuing to kind of go into today in, in our show. Because I, I think when, you know, to set the table here a little bit, you know, there's obviously people that are maybe in retirement or maybe they're advancing in retirement and they're having the concern here about, hey, at what point is too late in terms of my own home and what, what are my mm-hmm. options as I'm getting there? But also, I, I think there we we just have a lot of pre-retirees that are thinking uh, well ahead. You know, they're, they're sure. you know they're they're fifty years old, they're fifty-five, sixty years old, and they're thinking about the, that next thirty years, mm-hmm. and they're going, okay, if I'm trying to plan this out, what does this look like? And you know that that may dictate what what they do to their current home and what they mm-hmm. what they kind of position mm-hmm. there. So, want to start with the again? There's a lot of confusion about. Again, we, we kind of talked about a couple of times, but this idea of senior living that really is just kind of like nursing home, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I go from home to nursing home and that's that's it. But there's a whole, as we kind of saying, there's a spectrum of, of things here and in different arrangements, which can be there's things that they do and they don't do. So I'd love to have you start with, could you walk us through the life stages of senior living? Sure. So first of all, senior living, let's define it. What is what is senior living? It's actually retirement living, and there's usually a uh, minimum age requirement for senior living. And then there is that whole spectrum. So people have to decide where they fit along that continuum. And so independent living would be for people who are completely independent with their personal care, 
but perhaps they're just tired of the maintenance of their home. It, it, as people age, their their bodies don't work the same. And it may be difficult to mow along. It may be difficult to get on a ladder to clear the gutters or clear that ice jam on the roof. And it may not be safe anymore for some people that are a bit physically debilitated. Mm-hmm. But then, then you look at the inside maintenance of a home as well. So for some of the women that we work with here, they um, they have all their faculties, but they've got some type of comorbidity that has led to a little bit of physical debility. Maybe it's osteoarthritis or spinal stenosis, so that standing at a countertop at a kitchen, preparing meals three times a day can be very taxing for them. Maybe going up and down stairs to get to the laundry room to do another load of laundry is too difficult and becomes unsafe. So they have to think about those kinds of things that they no longer want to do or they no longer can safely do. And that often helps determine when to make a move. And it's the same for anybody. If they can't do the, the maintenance outside of the home, shoveling snow, snow blowing, clearing the ice jam off the roof, cutting the grass, mm-hmm. those things are, it takes some physical ability to do. And as sure. people age, it becomes more difficult. So those are, that is a lot of the reason why people begin thinking about putting their home for sale and moving someplace that's more maintenance free. Gotcha. And I, I would like to, you know, for you to kind of go through for us here, Susan, and really define each of the stages. So, because mm-hmm. again, I think maybe people are more familiar with the end stage, but mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily is, hey, what you just defined is, hey, I have an issue where yeah. it just feels like I'm not able to do things in my home, so I don't do them. So mm-hmm. maybe that light bulb did go out and I can't change it. I don't have it, anybody to ask about it. So I just leave it out because right, right. it's not safe. Or I get on that ladder, mm. unsafely get on the ladder. I then have, it might not be the first time I change that light bulb. Right. Maybe it's the third time or the fifth time or the 12th time. But at some point I have a fall risk sure. and I fall and I break a hip, I break something. Mm-hmm. And now that changes life. Like, So can you walk us through kind of like all the individual stages here of, of senior living in that spectrum? Sure. So I just went over independent living, and then the next natural step is assisted living. So people who are considering assisted living typically are people who are still quite independent, but they need very minimal assistance with things such as bathing or dressing, or maybe they're completely independent, but they just can't stand for long periods of time to cook. So if people choose assisted living, typically they're going to receive help with just very minimal assistance for bathing, dressing, meal prep. They might need help with their medication delivery because they can't open bottles or they forget to take a medication. So that's what assisted living will do for folks. Gotcha. We also we also have a level of memory care services. So anybody who has some form of dementia, if they begin to exit, seek, or wander to the degree that they're no longer safe in their home because they're, they're living with someone, but that person went in to take a shower and they come out and all of a sudden their husband is gone. Mm. And then they find that they've wandered away from the house. So we do have that secure environment for people that would be unsafe if they were in a non-secure environment or left unattended. And then specialized care, we did briefly go over that before, Mm -hmm. for people that a bit more debilitated. And um, if they don't go to a place like Durago Pines for specialized care, they would likely go to more long-term care at a nursing home. There's also that skilled side of a nursing home because some people just need a short skilled stay and that would look more like 
maybe I had a hip replacement and I live alone and there's no one to help me when I get home and I'm not quite ready to do everything. So a lot of people are referred for a short-term skilled stay to get their physical and occupational therapy services. Once they meet goals, then they go home. So that's kind of the spectrum from independence all the way to nursing home and rehab. Those are the different levels. I love it. Yeah, that's a really good summary because, again, yeah. from from our end, I think our population's looking at themselves and saying, look, I don't know this, right? I don't know what's available. But maybe worse than that is I don't know what type of senior living really is best for me right now. Right. Right? And, and, and I think you and I connected previously, Susan. You were saying, you know, I echo that completely, is that people just – they stay in what's comfortable mm-hmm. and they're like, Hey, I, I, in that first stage of retirement, everything's great. And we're doing fun stuff together and we're enjoying stuff. And it's just very easy to get in that habit, that comfortable space and just mm-hmm. kind of assume that forever where, uh, as you said, is we're kind of having physical changes and, you know, we're, we're kind of slowing down a little bit. Right then maybe there's a maybe there's something that you could change there that you aren't able to do in your home but now it could be done for you and then you're you're kind of either safer or living better mm-hmm. right so can you talk about what how people would know what's best for them in terms of sure. like right now how do i assess myself okay well first of all people are very aware of their abilities and what they can no longer do a lot of people will put off a move because they are so comfortable in their home and they just don't want to leave. So I think it goes back to resources. Who do you go to? So they have their primary doctor who sees them regularly. And very often we get referrals from doctor's offices saying, I'm working with this person. And um, I have finally kind of convinced them that it's time for some assisted living services. Mm -hmm. I told them it wasn't safe for them to be home anymore unless they got 24-7 help. And that's very costly, and we'll go into the cost of all that later, but it often comes from a physician practice. Their doctor recommends it. But who else do they talk to? Well, people talk to their friends. Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of referrals from people. I'll take phone calls, and people will say, well, my friend used to have a father who lived here. So those friends make referrals. They need to research online. Every community has a website you can go to, and there are live chats on those websites. Keep in mind that there are also referral sources such as a place for mom, caring.com, and they contract with companies. So they give us referrals of people that they kind of pre-screen and they have some sense of what they need. Then they send that referral on to us and then we take it from there. So there are a lot of places people can look to. And then, Ben, in your case, you're a financial planner. You must get a lot of questions from people about when do I need to start looking financially because they're going to come to you for the advice financially about senior living. So there are a lot of resources out there, and we want people to talk. The other thing is I do home visits where I can look at how people are functioning Mm -hmm. in their home environment, and I have them walk me through the whole house. Show me how you get in and out of bed. Put your toilet seat down. Just show me how you get onto and off of your toilet. I'm looking for things like grab bars, and I'm looking for them reaching out saying, okay, help me up, help me up. Well, if they live alone and they need Mm -hmm. help, then that's not good. I'll have them, I actually have them step in and out of the shower because I want to see if they can transfer safely. Are there grab bars in the shower? You know, is the surface slippery? Should they have something on the floor of that to prevent slips? 
Um, we look at things like the height of their counters in their kitchens. I look at whether they're cooking with gas versus maybe one of the glass top surfaces because some people do leave food unattended on a stove. Mm-hmm. Some people don't realize they're dragging their, their sleeve in a flame. So I look for all of these things, especially if I know someone already has an early cognitive decline because we're always looking at safety. I will always have my nurse's cap on and it's always going to be, are they safe doing this? And I've even had some people, I I say, show me how you put your socks on and off. I don't make them do it. I have them reach down. Sure. But I've had people sit on the edge of their bed and they tell me, oh, this is really hard for me to do. It takes me about a half hour to get my sock and my shoe on. But that should take like one minute. Mm. So I'll watch them and then they'll bend over to do it and they'll fall sideways on their bed. So they don't have that upper torso um, mobility or control to safely perform that activity of daily living. So technically, yes, they did it. But did they do it easily and did they do it safely? So as a nurse, I can say to them, well, my goodness, we can help you with lower body dressing and we can get that done in 10 minutes so that you can be off and going to your exercise class or to art class. You know, when they take several hours to get showered and dressed, that Mm -hmm. takes up a good chunk of their day and their time is valuable, too. Mm -hmm. So so that's a kind of evaluation I do when I do the home visits. I'm looking for safety and their ability to be safe in their home environment. I love that. Uh, and, and Susan, we had uh, Mike Wilcox from Wilcox Wellness and Fitness on a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the conversations, right, is, is mm-hmm. around because it's not saying, well, you got to go be able to run a marathon at 84, right? right? But it, it's about, well, hey, there's there's things about balance and maintaining balance. So we avoid falls. And, and right. can we can we have enough kind of core strength in order to uh, lift our our ankle over our other knee so that we can put the sock on and, and right. making sure you're pliable and all of those things, mm-hmm. which I, I think when you're when you're 50 or 55 or 60, like you can feel like sometimes we're tightening up a little bit. Sure. But you don't you don't really you're not able to project forward that far and say, right. what am I going to be like here if I'm, you know, if I'm not able to, to bend something or move right. and how that's going to restrict. So I, I like what you're doing there, because I think that uh, yeah. shows some of the, the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have another question just on this uh, uh, kind of vein on the spectrum of your living. I think a big point that I, I, I just wonder about is when. So if I'm in, yeah. you know, independent living and I'm going, when do I start shifting from that to maybe assisted or to mm-hmm. other points? Like, can you talk about the triggers there that maybe move people from one, one level to another? Yes, I can. First of all, it's important for me to say that when someone moves here, we have a contract with them. It's a standard state of Maine apartment contract. The difference is we don't hold them to a one-year um, rent, a lease, a one-year lease. They go month to month. However, we deliberately put a clause in that contract that says, and I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. in so many words, that if I become unable to take care of myself or I am unsafe in my apartment or cause someone else to be unsafe, I agree to move along the continuum of my choice. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean they have to move along Dirigo Pines's continuum, but Mm -hmm. they have to agree to move along. And the reason for that is is kind of multifolded. We we want our other residents who are completely independent to feel as though they too are among their peers. But if someone begins to really struggle in their independent apartment, whether it's cognitively or physically, 
then we're, we, we don't immediately tell someone, oh, we really think you should move. We kind of watch and see, can, is there anything we can provide for them to keep them as independent as long as possible? So one of the examples is for people who can no longer easily do their own laundry. We have washers and dryers in their mm. apartment. But if that's difficult to lift a laundry basket or a big jug of liquid laundry detergent, mm. then they can contract for additional laundry services through our laundry department. So there are things that we can um, offer, offer them at a cost, of course, to keep them there. Mm. But if it becomes more physical things, if they're, if they're consistently falling and on the floor and we do offer a live safe system so that if they fall, they can push a button. But I will tell you that most people will tell me, well, that's just for old people. And they feel like if they wear that button and someone sees them wearing it, it, it gives that impression that they're not independent. So we have a lot of people that won't wear them. Mm-hmm. And and it just takes a couple of hours on the floor one time for them to go, oh, maybe I should wear my button. Sure. But but usually it would the impetus for a move from independent living onto some level of assisted typically is a physical debility or a cognitive one. So we try really hard not to push people, but we do remind them that when they come here, they tell us the reason they chose our community is that we offer the whole continuum of care. Mm. So this type of community works best if we're utilizing that continuum. We want people to continue to move because then truly independent people who are waiting to get in here can then move in and occupy those independent apartments. People who are no longer independent can go to assisted living or specialized care or memory care. That's how this community thrives. So we have to do a good job of, well, being a nurse, I'm, I'm the person that typically will go meet with people when I become aware that they're struggling. And I often become aware because their friends who care about them, fellow residents, will knock on my door and say, hey, will you put so-and-so on your radar? I'm really concerned about them. Mm -hmm. I think they could use more help. So I really appreciate that these good neighbors are really watching out for one another. And then I go go make the visit, and then we have that conversation. That's great. I want to kind of rotate here a little bit, Susan. Um, And I know we mentioned it. Ben brought it up before that we hear all the time from our clients, I want to stay in my house. It's my house. I've lived here for 50 years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the opposite side is that statement, I am not going to a nursing home. And I know you've covered in this first half of this podcast how I think, in my opinion, distinctly different you are than a what people consider a nursing home. Sure. Um, Can you just kind of go through, you know, some common misconceptions? I know we've talked a little bit Uh about this, but, you know, that what really... I guess the myths that people have about when they see Dirigo Pines, I think they wrongly assume you're a nursing home. Can you just kind of get into that a little bit? Well, actually, it's kind of just the opposite. When they hear about us, they think, oh, I'm not going to that nursing home. Yeah. But then when they come here and they see that it's not clinical in any way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. we're, we're not in nursing uniforms. We're not in lab coats. We don't look sterile. There are beautiful wood grains everything is just lovely and they walk in and they see the fireplace and the beautiful hearth Mm -hmm. and it's so inviting and they think wow it looks like a lovely upscale hotel so immediately upon entering our lobby people think 
this doesn't look like a nursing home. That's good, yeah. And then as we walk them through and they see that there's beautiful carpeting, and again, it looks like a four-star, five-star hotel. Mm. It's lovely. So that's the difference. But they do say, I'm never leaving my home. I, I want to live here. I want to die here. But what I try to do is flip their thinking on its head and say, okay, instead of counting that type of transition as a loss, what do you gain when like you that. move to a place like Dirigo Pines and receive some help? Now, you may move and become an independent resident, but I'll tell you, the thing I hear constantly is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't come here sooner. Once they get here and realize that it's not clinical, yeah. It's it is truly their home. They bring these are non furnished apartments. They bring their own belongings and they can make it truly their own home. It looks like their home because they've set it up like their home with all of their lovely things, their artwork on the wall. But we have just taken away the things that became difficult for them. We have an executive chef and his sous chef team that makes all the food. What we do, though, is that we do take the place of all those things that they couldn't easily do or safely do anymore. Mm -hmm. So there are services here. We have transportation. So that's always a battle when to give up the keys, especially with someone who has early Alzheimer's who yeah. lacks that safety self-awareness. They don't realize that they're crossing the line or they're driving too slow. And it could cause an accident, but they can give up their vehicle. We have ample transportation throughout the week. COVID has changed everything, but ordinarily, if we weren't in a pandemic, we have outings going on all week long mm -hmm. and transportation for them so they can be social. And then in the end, we have activity, so many activities, just life enrichment activities that add value. And you know, art class, book club, we have a very thriving opera club here. So we do those live feeds from the Metropolitan Opera. Hmm. So there's just so many things they could be doing. And if they were sitting home, they can't get out easily. Yeah. What are, they're going to sit home alone. You're they're right. not going to be among their peers, enjoying good food, happy hours, the exercise classes, book clubs. We have all of that here. So they're going to find they're more socially active coming to a retirement community. Hmm. And, and Susan, I, I like what you're saying there because um, uh, we actually had uh, – a gentleman on named John Deal on a previous show, and he was presenting research done by the MIT Age Lab. And they were distilling retirement success really down to three questions. Yeah. And one was, you know, who will change my light bulb? Right? Yeah. Which you're talking about, right? right? Is, you know, if sure. I can't do it myself, who's going to do it? Mm -hmm. So that's one. And two was, where will I get my ice cream cone? So if I le live in East Millinocket and I'm 88 years old, yeah. right, and I have to drive into town to get that ice cream cone, but I can't really drive anymore, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I need to go to the uh, hospital for a doctor's visit, or I right. need to go to see my primary care physician, whatever the thing is mm -hmm. that I need to do, mm -hmm. and I can't access it, right? Right. So that so, but the one you just talked about, I and. I actually did, we didn't have it in a prepared comment here, which I, you know, you just kind of talked about a little more and I'm going to a little uh, ad lib here was the third co uh, question that he had of success. And it was, who will I, I have lunch with? Right. 
And when you are in pre-retirement and then maybe the first and early stages of retirement, that's pretty easy Mm -hmm. because your friends are vibrant and you guys can travel to each other. You could do vacations. It's, it's an easier question to answer. Right. But when you are maybe more uh, advanced in life and you're, you're, you know, you're, you have more mobility issues, you're not able to get out. And, you know, maybe, maybe you are a solo ager. Maybe your spouse has passed on. Well, who am I going to connect with? Who am I going to have relationships with? Who am I going to enjoy company with? And that's what what I think is really kind of neat about what you're describing here mm-hmm. in your retirement community is like, hey, I'm getting people that are looking out for each other. They're going, hey, you know, hey. Susan, I'm knocking on your door. I'm really concerned about Jeff. You know, Jeff yeah. is two doors down. And I'm kind of concerned because we were talking at lunch today and he was having trouble keeping up or, you know, I was having, I was seeing how he really had trouble with his left hand lifting his fork. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, those are big deals that we're all kind of looking out for each other, which is main, which is nice. But, but I think what, what I I think what you're describing is something, which is that third question. And, and I, I love that. That, that's kind of the, you know, I'm seeing you solve all three in, in what you're kind of proposing here. So that's really great. Well, I often joke that they have more of a social life than I do. They have more to do than I do. I work and then I go home and work some more. Home, (laughs) work, home and work. So, boy, I look forward to the day when I can join an exercise class or go to the Metropolitan Opera, granted, live feed, but art class, sip and paint. We do sip and paint here, folks. So there's just a lot going on that otherwise they would be sitting home alone for. And there's actually research being done. And uh, COVID, especially during COVID, the isolation is causing some people to decline more quickly because they feel so lonely. Yeah. The responsibility is on us in senior living to make sure we're engaging those residents with other residents in a socially distant way. And we have figured out how to safely do that. But it's so important for our life enrichment team to provide activity that adds value, that makes them feel as though they're a part of something. And uh, we do extensive life life history stories on people prior to moving in so that we learn who they are, who were they before they got here. And we can kind of design a um, an activity around what they love to do. And, you know, we want to make sure we add value to their life. So this is a place to get it, not sitting home in your independent apartment all by yourself or your independent home all by yourself if you're a solo ager. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important, right? Is to go, cause I, I guess there's, there's this mentality of giving up, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, Hey, if I get to that point of I'm leaving my house or I get to mm-hmm. this point that I've essentially given up on life. Right. And what, what I think is what we try to do with our clients and what we want to make sure we're doing with this podcast, um, and these videos was like, no, 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 no. It's not giving up. Right. It's just really adapting your life in a way that mm-hmm. allows you to continue to maximize the opportunities. Right. right. And it's, you're saying, Hey, by the way, let's, you know, if you're into opera, great. Well, here's the, the, the Met Live or here's, you know, by the way, you're in Orono and there's some really great entertainment options right down the mm-hmm. street at the University of Maine or right. that you're able to do things in collective uh, ways that like, here's, here's collective interest. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. collective hobbies that people like to do, put those people together. And that's how you're going to make friends. Right, right. Right. Versus we'll go do it. You're off on your own and in, it'll just take right. care of itself, hopefully. Yeah. So I, I think that was really kind of key point. Yeah. 
Well, there are a lot of people who come alone and they're very afraid of being here alone. And will people like me? Will I find someone that I have some common interests with? Sure. And you would not believe the friendships that are forged here. They're, they are looking for it because it is lonely living in your home after a spouse dies, especially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just seen so many people thrive once they've gotten here. And on a personal note, I'll share one quick story that when my father was living toward end of life with his Alzheimer's, he became nonverbal. We all just assumed it was because he was progressing with his Alzheimer's. But once we put in um, caregivers 24-7, he wouldn't stop talking. We figured it out. It was just him and my mother. And they had no more to say to each other after 60 years of marriage. He would retreat to the living room. She would go to her den and they'd watch their own programs, but he wouldn't Mm -hmm. talk. And we just really thought he progressed. But once Mm -hmm. he became socially engaged, he couldn't stop talking and he lit up and his eyes lit up. So that just shows you that people need to be engaged with other people. Yeah. Yeah. We need other people with us. That's exactly right. And and on top of that is because I think we see it from our end as as people are aging too is, you know, they're not just looking for financial services and financial planning. They're looking for connection, right? Is that, you know, and here's service providers in my life that are helping me with one area of my life, but they're looking for, they go to you really not for the update on their portfolio Mm -hmm. or their update in their financial plan. They're saying, Hey, I really just want to connect with somebody. Like, here's the pain points in my life, which we are then in turn using of like, Hey, if you, boy, you're, you're kind of upset with your living conditions. Well, let's talk about, you know, this area in senior living or let's talk mm-hmm. about, Hey, here's, here's an issue that you're facing with kind of family and you, or you, you're really having trouble, uh, with kind of overcoming your, your spouse when they passed mm-hmm. and you have a lot of grief. Well, so we're kind of a conduit in terms of referring people to kind right. of services because we're listening for pain points. Right. So, right. so that's, I think, that a really big deal. I want to ask another question to you, Susan, is um, this idea about obviously retirees are living longer in retirement right. than we've seen, right? right? And with that, of course, there's a lot of challenges that come up. Right. And there's, of course, things that we haven't thought of. And maybe even with COVID, that's something that's happening right now. Can you talk about maybe what challenges that you've been seeing, even within your careers, people are living longer? Mm-hmm. What, what sort of things are coming up that we hadn't really thought of, but now we're having to address now today? Well, now people, they're living longer. They have to look at their portfolio and will their money take them through end of life? Mm -hmm. I remember one lady that lived here who was a hundred years old and she was aware enough that she was failing and probably in the last months of her life. And she said, Susan, I never dreamed I would live long enough to outlive my money. And she said, I really thought it would take me through the end. So unfortunately for her, I did have to help her family find a main care bed. So I think we have to look at the fact that my generation in the 60s, we're, uh, I'm in my 60s now, and we're, we're living longer because we're a pretty healthy generation. So I think that the baby boomers are going to overwhelm the system. And we have to look at uh, beds, and I'm talking like nursing facilities. You Mm -hmm. want to make sure there are enough beds to take care of people. We also have the challenge of care providers. We need more care providers to take care of people who live in retirement living or other types of senior living, such as nursing homes. The other thing that I see happening here is that more and more we're getting people that have very specialized diets. And so our chef and his team need to begin thinking about the gluten-free population. 
Um, I just had a referral for people from out of state saying we're both vegans and, um, mm. you know, we, what, what can you do for us from your menu? So we need to expand our menus. The other thing for our Jewish friends, we don't have a kosher kitchen here at Deerigal Pines. I believe I heard that there was one community in Southern Maine that has a kosher kitchen. So you want to look at, I mean, we're not very ethnically diverse in the state of Maine. We're not religiously diverse in the state of Maine. But as more people come to Maine, because it's a beautiful state, and, and a lot of our people we're moving in are coming from out of this state. They're coming to Maine. So I think we need we need to be prepared for that, that there will be people with different needs and different backgrounds, and they're going to want us to adapt a bit to them. But I, I think we'll get into a little bit later the finances of it, because I have to say, I do the financial reviews with people, and I'm seeing a lot fewer multi-million dollar portfolios and seeing more two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand dollar portfolios. So how do we stretch that dollar, make it last through end of life for people? So that's that's going to be a real challenge. There are no there, there aren't many companies that have pensions now. So right, you're not right. you're not seeing those kinds of income after retirement. It's typically a social security, maybe a dividend payment. Most people do come with a small retirement fund but they don't have a pension anymore. So it's, yeah, it's really and, different. And, and Susan, I think that's that's happening more and more with us, with our financial planning conversations, because, of course, there's the trade-off of if I delay Social Security, right? Mm-hmm. So every year I delay Social Security is generally about an 8% increase until age mm-hmm. 70. But if I retire at 62 or 63 or 65 or something along those lines, mm-hmm. well, that might mean for me to get more Social Security, which, again, is going to go toward, uh, towards the end of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I can lock in a higher floor by having Social Security, but in the intermediate years when I am retired, I might have to tap the liquidity of my retirement account first. Right. So it might make sense to be spending from my retirement assets first to get to Social Security to have that higher higher floor. So mm-hmm. to the point of like I've outspent my assets, right. but I have a, a maximized Social Security benefit. So those right. are those are hard conversations, right? It's because sure. people work for forty years to save a, a, a level of wealth right. and then go, I see it aggressively spent down for the first few years. Then right. it gets maybe plateaued in terms of costs, but we're seeing that on a financial planning end. Of, right. that, there's no right answer because we don't know right. how long we're going to live. Right, right. That is hard. No one has that crystal ball. But mm-hmm. the other thing that I do, though, is I always delve into the background of the person, the prospect who is inquiring because some of them may be veterans. And as you're aware, there is an aid and attendance stipend for qualifying veterans to help defray the cost of their assisted living services once they require some assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't help when people are independent, but certainly most everybody does end up transitioning to some level of assisted living service. That's when it's going to help. We also have people who were very smart and took out long-term care insurance policies. And I always review the policies with them because I'm always interested in their elimination period. Did they purchase the inflation rider? What's their daily reimbursement going to look like once they need that? Mm -hmm. So we will work with people with long-term care policies as well. But there are other things that I often have people tell me, well, I can't come until I sell my house. So maybe they could go to their financial institution and find out if there's some kind of bridge loan Mm -hmm. that will tie them over 
and, and allow them to move while they need the services now, but still continue to try to sell their house, but bridge that financial gap for them. So there are lots of um, different ways people can do this, but uh, I know you know that more than I do. <laughs> no, but it, I think from a listener perspective, I think that's important, right? Is yeah. I think we all get very rigid, right? And we say, mm-hmm. hey, if I, I can't do that until I sell my house. But, you know, my house is really worth X and mm-hmm. I won't settle for a penny less than X. But right. they get so fixated on a point. Right. And I don't want to say they, it's like we all do on, on our things, right. but we, we get so rigid with it that we go, you know, but what am I giving up if I have to wait six months to get that price? Or maybe I never get that price that mm-hmm. I'm looking for. But meanwhile, like all the things that you mentioned of, you know, or, or you know, the community aspect and mm-hmm. maybe the better nutrition, because, you know, I'm not really doing well nutrition, taking care of myself on these things right. or all of it. Mm. And and you're gonna wait six months for a dollar or something, but your quality of life maybe is is right. worse off. So I think mm-hmm. those are those are really good trade offs to be convers- uh, having conversations of, and not go, no, when this happens, then this happens, and not be right. so linear. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of resistance about it, and uh, it doesn't always make sense. But uh, I would rather have them put their health first mm-hmm. and and their needs. I mean, think about it. You know, you asked me to. To think about what is a successful retirement. Well, I don't think it's very successful if you're staying at home because you just decided I'm never leaving my house, but you're struggling to do everything that it takes to stay in that home and then your quality of life is greatly reduced. Mm. So there's, you know, they have to think about a balance and I know I'll probably do it too. (laughs) I think, I think we all feel like, Oh, I want to stay in my home. But you have to look realistically at that person staring back at you in the mirror. Mm-hmm. There are wrinkles and gray hair now, and I'm not as young as I used to be. So realistically, think about what you want to do and can you still do it and what you need, you know, the essentials mm-hmm. in your life. And to me, also balancing out your social circle, because a lot of people have reduced their social circle as we're working because we don't have the time to be with our friends. That's right. right. So to me, a successful retirement is also reaching out to those people that we kind of left behind for a while, but you can do that right here. Mm-hmm. There are new friends to be had. And I can't count the times I've been walking people through our halls, showing them around and they'll run into someone they know. I didn't know you lived here. So, you know, when they see other friends who moved here and they just had no idea, mm. I mean, that speaks for itself right there. It, it often encourages them. Well, gee, if my friend could do it, maybe I ought to give it a try. Exactly. Susan, I want to kind of dive into the cost. Um, you okay. know, we touched on it a little bit. You know, we hear a lot that, you know, a lot of our, our clients will just say, you know, that senior living, it's just too expensive. And that's mm-hmm. coming from people with, you know, they may have ample financial resources or some without. They just, I think, talk about the myths we were talking about before, you know, maybe it's they just assume it's too much. Um, can you kind of talk about just generally the costs associated. I know we touched on, right. you know, the different spectrums at your facilities right. there. Can you just kind of talk about that through those stages and the cost generally associated? Sure. 
Sure. And I'm going to start by prefacing it with one statement that when I get a call from someone, all they want to hear is a cost. Mm -hmm. And I always have to tell them, but please let me explain what's included in that cost. Because if I just throw out a number, they'll just say, Oh my gosh, I can't do, I can't possibly do that. Exactly. But when I tell them what that cost includes, that kind of changes things. So Mm -hmm. independent living apartments here, um, are based on the size of the apartment. So we have one bedroom, one bathroom, all the way up to the two bedroom, two bathroom, den, living room. So um, 570 square feet up to 1135 square feet. So if you start out with our smallest model for independent living, it's 29.25 monthly. But that's pretty inclusive. The mm-hmm. only thing it really doesn't include is your telephone. So it's going to be all of your utilities your basic cable, internet, and Wi-Fi, your weekly housekeeping services, the meal plan, which for independent residents is slightly different than our medical residents because they have full kitchens and we have some fabulous cooks in the house. But our meal plan is Monday through Saturday, continental breakfast in the morning with one additional meal. So they do have that ability to cook that one additional meal a day, Monday through Saturday. And then we have a brunch on Sunday. So in the evening, there's that one last meal on their own. We also provide their transportation, and when uh, the pandemic finally goes away, I hope it's soon, we can get back to our transportation to things like the out-to-lunch bunch and Mm. going to the cross-center for humane men and women's basketball games, the symphony, the Penobscot Theater. So we have all of that transportation. It's scheduled, and there's no fee for it. Now, if they wanted to do some private transportation, then they can talk with us, and there would be a fee for them taking a private trip as long as we can accommodate that. Mm. But we have also all those cultural, educational, and social activities included in that cost, And then we have that live safe button that's included in that whole bundled package. So for 22.9, excuse me, 29.25 a month, that's a lot included. So Mm -hmm. to me, that's a, that's a very good value. The other thing I do in my senior living presentation is ask people to compare what it costs them to maintain and run their own private home as compared to what I just quoted. Because when you start adding up, you know, the presidential plan on the boiler, your taxes, all of your utilities, the the shopping, uh, you know, groceries and maintenance of the house, because a lot of people hire a lawn service. That gap really narrows when they compare. And I know I can tell you personally, my husband is the type of person who calculates everything. In fact, he can tell you what it costs us to raise our children minus food up until end of college. He has ledgers. (laughs) So there is a way to calculate your costs, but it costs us $2,200 a month to run our home, which was fully paid for. Yeah. Fully, fully paid for. We had no mortgage. Yeah. So uh, people think that independent living is way too much, but the gap really does narrow when they figure that out. Yeah. And I'm glad you went into that, Susan, because I think it's important for people to think about that. You know, it's like you said, it's easy to hear that dollar amount and and be Mm -hmm. scared of it. But when you really slow down and then to conversely think about what you're paying for right now. I mean, it's like you said, I'm sure that gap narrows right down. Can you just touch on staying with costs, types of insurances out there? You know, we have main care. Um, you touched mm-hmm. on the veterans insurance piece, but could you just kind of dive? And then, of course, private insurance. Can right. you just kind of talk about those options people might have? Sure, sure. 
So we are a private pay community, so it is completely private pay. Okay. However, if they see, we have a nurse practitioner here who sees many of our residents, and whenever she sees them, that will get billed to their insurance. Gotcha. So the cost of that medical care is taken care of. Gotcha. And we will continue to transport them out to their PCP office so they can see their doctor, and they'll be billed the same way they are now. Mm-hmm. But all the services otherwise for housing is completely private pay. Gotcha. If they're, if they're on one of our three medical neighborhoods and they happen to have a long-term care policy, then that will eventually be activated once they've met their elimination period. Gotcha. And that's where that's going to help defray their costs. Gotcha. Aid and attendance is uh, another one that people have to apply for. And the eligibility is that they have to have served during any war, declared wartime. They have mm. to have served at least 90 days. They have to have been medically or honorably discharged. And then there is a financial eligibility that each person will have to meet. And I can't personally tell someone if they give me their portfolio that they're eligible because they may have seen a uh, an elder care attorney and done some estate planning, maybe sheltered some money. Yeah. Because I've seen some people that I know have very healthy portfolios qualify for that stipend. And then I've seen some people not qualify. So it, it tells me that Obviously, they've done some estate planning, and that might be why they qualified. But I can at least tell them who to go see to have that conversation. And then once they do apply, it's about a 6- to 12-month application and approval process. But if they are approved, my understanding is it is retroactive to the date of their application. That's awesome. So they will be reimbursed for that. That's great. And and typically the way this works, long-term care companies and that aid in attendance, they will send a check directly to that resident. So they don't send it to us. Hmm. So we will bill that person for the full amount of their their cost for their particular apartment. Mm -hmm. But they'll get their reimbursement through those different companies. Gotcha. That's how that works. Did that adequately answer the question? Yeah. No, that was great. That was great. Yeah. And and Susan, I'm going to go down a a path here just uh, uh, in terms of couples, too, Mm -hmm. because I can see where, you know, there's maybe there's two of us, right? Say my spouse and I together, we're going to move in. So uh, the first question I want to ask along those lines, when you're quoting prices, are those generally for the... The space itself, like if one person's moving in versus two, is that kind of cost the same or is it doubled because mm-hmm. there's two people in that space? So the way it works is the price that I quoted would be if one person lived in the apartment. If a spouse or a partner lived with their spouse or partner, then we do charge a second person fee, which would help to cover the additional cost for meals throughout the month sure. and additional usage of utilities. So, gotcha. yes, there is. Okay. On the independent side, the additional fee is $950. Okay. So it's helpful then because I guess where I want to go to is, look, all of us in our – it doesn't matter if you have a spouse or not, but we all have our individual path in terms of how we age and health mm-hmm. needs and social needs and those sorts of things. So it would seem to me that say so you do have a couple that moves in uh, together, that they could be – if they're going across the spectrum of senior living, that they go at different times. Right. Is that that there may be right. one person that's fully independent and they can be independent for much longer, mm-hmm. but somebody else mm-hmm. might advance towards assisted all the way right. to specialized care. I'm fascinated myself of mm-hmm. how does that kind of work right. where, you know, you know, people are changing care needs 
And how does that seamlessly go for a couple that, you know, they're trying to stay together, right? They want to see each other every day. They want to be in the same space as much as possible. How does that work in, in your community? can work one of two ways. So some people choose to move along that continuum together where the independent person will remain the independent second person and pay that second person fee in the assisted living apartment. And then the person, the person requiring the assistance will be the one to pay for the level of care from the nursing staff and the rent on the apartment. So we have a lot of people that will move along the continuum together in that fashion. The only time it's become really problematic, and it's not for us, we've had a lot of people who want to stay together despite someone requiring a secure memory care environment. When you get to secure memory care, it's a different way of living because all the other residents living there have varying degrees of dementia, mm. and they require a lot of, of uh, oversight. So we are required to do bed checks, for instance, through the night. So if you're an independent husband living with your wife who has end-stage Alzheimer's, mm. you're not going to get a lot of rest if you're going to live with her in her apartment. Sure. Because we have to go in. It feels a bit intrusive, but we have to make sure that person is still doing okay. We may sure. need to toilet them or turn them, change their adult undergarments, those types of things. And while we're doing that, we've obviously just disrupted the sleep of the spouse that's living in there. Right. We've had people try it. I remember one couple in particular where the gentleman was independent, but he had some comorbidities, and it began taking its toll on him because he wasn't getting rest. And I finally said to him, look, I I know you want to be with your wife, but we have a small apartment upstairs. I really recommend you take that and then spend your days with her. But at least you can go up in the afternoon, get your nap in, and then you've got a place to retreat to overnight, get your full rest uninterrupted by nursing staff coming into your wife's room to check on her all night long. He did it, and he was thankful he did it. So so it can go a lot of different ways. We do have some people that bought a cottage on in our cottage community and then maybe one of them became sick or had some form of dementia that progressed and they needed to come to the inn. Very often that person will stay in their cottage but come up and spend time with their spouse at the inn during daytime hours. So they still have access to their person at all. COVID's a little bit different. We're not having sure. our cottagers in the right. building right now. But Once this all changes and we can go back to our former way of conducting business, any cottager can have access 24-7 to their spouse here at the inn. That's okay if they want to come up and be with their spouse and visit. So that's how the couple situation works. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That's great. So as we near the end of our conversation, Susan, there's one question that we like to ask all of our guests. um, And I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, kind of generally speaking. I want to know for you, what do you envision a successful successful retirement being as you progress and, you know, eventually get to your retirement years? Sure. How do you see that going? Okay. So for me, I, al- I obviously will think of the financial end of it. So mm-hmm. I am planning my retirement. I'm almost 62. And uh, I want to make sure that financially I can make it through whatever my end of life might be. Mm-hmm. And I'm fairly healthy. Mm-hmm. But I also want to be realistic about my aging process because I am changing. And I think it's really important to to look at those changes and to meet them as positively as I can. I'm hoping that because of the business that I'm in, 
I will not be one of those that, ah, you know, I'm never leaving my apartment. <laughs> I'm never, I mean, my house, I'm never, never leaving. Right. I want to, I want to be realistic about it. And for me, success is doing the things I want to do, being able to afford the things that are a little more frivolous because, you know, they might be fun to do. Exactly. Um, the egg, the, the, I want to have my, my nest egg available so that if there is some kind of uh, medical emergency, for instance, that I'm prepared for that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think we've done a good job for that. I want to expand my social group. I think that's really important to stay connected to people because as I mentioned before, there is research that if we don't stay connected, we will probably fail a lot more quickly. We'll Mm -hmm. decline a lot more quickly. So, um, and then reconnecting with family. Now I don't have grandchildren yet, but I hope to someday. And so that would be a successful retirement for me, being able to help my children raise their children. That's awesome. So so it goes from finances to social to personal life. Yeah. And, and uh, that's what I think would be successful for me. Susan, it sounds like you've done a really great job visualizing your own success. Uh, that Because that, I, I think that's that's hard from not only just a personal perspective like today, but also to go forward and say, what makes me happy today and what will make me happy in the future? Mm-hmm. And then to put those things in place, those building blocks so that those things can happen. So, which is what you're doing for for senior living and retirement community at Deerville Pines. So it sounds like, again, kind of a lot of uh, continuity from what brings you happiness in your life to the the job and the work that you're doing. And I love that that those things are just really uh, parallel to each other and continue to kind of feed off each other. So thank you so much for coming on the uh, Retirement Success in Maine podcast today because so much in terms of education for us and hearing about your model and, but also you and your stories. um, It's just, I think really great to debunk some of these myths and really kind of work through Mm -hmm. what really drives success on the, on the living side. So appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. So interesting topic today, of course, uh, you know, talking about retirement communities really is, yeah. is kind of the idea. And you know, again, again, I think what we're trying to insert in terms of the conversation with, you know, where am I going to live is, you know, at some point in our life that, you know, we might want to consider something other than living in our own home. Mm-hmm. And again, for a lot of us, maybe our homes aren't really meant to be aged in, and, and this may becomes um, something we need to consider. So again, it wasn't uh, just, well, here's where a nursing home is, and I go from home to nursing home, and that's more end-of-life care or more, again, more assisted living needs is what I have. But maybe there's other things. And again, John Deal kind of talked about that with, again, we talked about those three questions. We brought that up from the MIT Age Lab. Right. And friends, right, is, again, we're in the state of Maine. It's cold and wintry and messy. It's hard to get around at times. We can be more rural. Mm -hmm. So how do you maintain a friend group that maybe it's more difficult to access each other, right? And how do, and what about my family that's busy with their careers and, and all those things? So again, those are the things we're trying to think about and put this as, well, what's the solution to that? So Mm -hmm. Susan Habib, I think that a really great job today talking to, hey, here's another option in terms of obviously Deerogo Pines, who she's representing, 
but in terms of retirement communities in general, like what, right. why is that another option? And if you're in Southern Maine, of course, you have options down there. Um, but across lots of different communities in the state of Maine, you have these as options. So we would just encourage you to to kind of find out and, and kind of interview and find out which ones, if you're considering it, what's right. right. Figure out the cost that's appropriate for your budget. Because, again, she even was talking about herself. Yeah. And I need to think about living here or living wherever and making sure my money lasts. So that's a big financial consideration. And again, that's something we do with our clients is help yeah. them. Hey, if I'm going to do this, how long can I do it for? And what if I advancing across stages? Well, let's, let's, let's analyze it. Let's mm-hmm. help do that for you and help figure that out. So I think those are really kind of, those a big, important conversation. So. Of course, we like to highlight lessons uh, from the show. Yeah. And Curtis, I, I'll ask you in terms of what was something that you really took away from today's show that really maybe maybe our listeners and our audience really could take away in terms of retirement communities? Yeah. Um, and so I'll admit, I don't think my takeaway or lesson is going to be from the show. I know it was our conversation with Susan. I think it was just after we got done recording. But it was, you know, talking about progressing through those various stages or, you know, across the spectrum of senior living. And, you know, we touched on independent living to assisted living, you know, and and progressing along. And, you know, the idea of resistance to to progress along that path from, you know, living fully independent to then having to move into an assisted living situation within the same community even, you know, she talked about the resistance and I think I – naturally thought the resistance would come from the per- the individual living there, you know, would just be hesitant to give up that independence. Sure. And I, you know, she shared a story with us where it was actually a child, uh, you know, an adult child of the, the uh, individual living in the community and, you know, saying, Oh, mom or dad, they just won't go for that. And just assuming that it's, it's not going to work. And, and that's something that kind of caught my attention, you know, as I think about, Myself and, you know, my two siblings, as we get older and our parents get older, it's, you know, kind of like, whoa, you know, maybe we will be the, the problem here and not helping them live their best life throughout retirement. So, you know, it, it, that was just one piece that stuck out to me to, to kind of look in the mirror, if you will, and say, you know, who's going to hold up this process? Is it going to be mom or dad who really will have a better life and live better with a little more help than trying to fight it and live on their own? So I, I thought that was a really cool piece. Yeah, and and I think what's also interesting too is it's your point about kids, but even external parties, right? Is yeah. it, sometimes it's it's maybe the spouses and, mm-hmm. and one spouse saying no, 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 I, I I got them, I can take care of them, and they don't progress because they don't want to progress differently, right? Is one would yep. be an assisted, one would get independent care, or hey, someone's in memory care, and you know she also shared a story again offline about. One uh, one of the couple that was in memory care, mm-hmm. but you know during memory care it's a it's a whole other level of service. They're getting woken up several times a night because they need different. Uh, they need to make sure they're turned, that they're safe in their bed, that maybe they they need to be changed, whatever the needs are. But mm-hmm. if you are if you really only need if you don't have really many needs at all, you're independent, but you're being woken up three times a night. Well, how are you also going to be there for your partner maybe throughout the day? Exactly. If you're being woken up several times a night, so. So, you know, making sure that, hey, well, we might have to separate maybe at night 
to come mm. together better during the day. I think those are key points. So I think that was a really like we we can all have all resistance and in lots of different areas. And it might not just come from what might be the obvious is yeah. we just ourselves are resisting to progressing. And and I think that's a key takeaway. I, I would say as well, you know, for me, I, I, I guess kind of zooming out a little bit, but talking about retirement communities and really the this need for communities, especially in the state of Maine. Is that, you know, you hear, as she's kind of saying, there really isn't a whole lot of options in our area and no. maybe central Maine. And you're, and you're seeing, you hear the number of beds and, and apartments and rooms that they have. Mm. You know, you're not talking, you know, hundreds or thousands of rooms yeah. here. You're, you know, you're, you're talking kind of in this, you know, 50 to 100 area. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of need where their boomers are aging and, and kind of looking as I know you as listeners are probably thinking about this. If you're, pre-retirement or in your 50s at this point. Hey, what does that look like and where do I going to go and who where are my kids and where where do I want to be and and where am I going to eventually go into if it's going to be a retirement community because that sounds kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things are all going to be key in terms of where do I eventually start putting down some more roots for uh for that retirement stage. I think that's a big deal yeah. uh to kind of work through. Uh, but again, for, for our show, we always appreciate you listening, um, retirement success and main podcast. We are episode, I think we're 29, 29, getting up 29. there. We're almost in our thirties already. Boy, we're, we're growing up and we're, <laughs> we're through our twenties and, and keep going. Yeah. So again, I, I think with our show today, you know, we wanted to, you know, maybe not just go to a nursing home. I think that might be a different conversation, but retirement mm. communities is, is something. So we're going to have, of course, our blog page, which you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 29. Yeah. And you can find more resources there, transcript of the show. Um, and we'll have more information. Uh, uh, Susan shared with us a really great presentation, a slide share yeah. on uh, what is dif- the really definitions of different stages of senior living. Mm-hmm. So we'll have that. And I think that's a really kind of key uh, tool to use there. It, and we'll we'll kind of have a few more resources uh, that we'll put out. But if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, um, let us know. We'd love to uh, kind of hear any feedback. If you have suggestions, we've actually had some uh, recently some really great listeners that have been reaching out to us and say, hey, like one, for example, said, you know what? Meditation has been something that's really helped me. Mm. And and that's something that we'll we'll look to have in the future episodes is talk about meditation and what what does it mean and how can it really help us? And should we really even kind of consider it? So I think those are things that, you know, if we can kind kind of find more ways to improve retirement for you. Yeah. We want to keep doing it. So we always appreciate your listenership. Uh, appreciate you tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.